So this is Monique Fouts. I'm here at the ISTSS annual meeting with uh, Ginny Sprang from the University of Kentucky. Um, so Ginny is doing research on secondary traumatic stress and maybe you can explain us uh, what actually traumatic, uh, secondary traumatic stress means. So secondary traumatic stress is really a condition that parallels um, post-traumatic stress, but the origins um, are indirect exposure to traumatic material that a therapist or a child welfare worker, um, maybe a law enforcement officer, a school teacher um, would hear um, through the telling of stories or exposure to materials um, that represent a traumatic event, testifying in court, seeing um, case records, that type of thing. So the method of exposure is indirect um, and um, it is um, characterized by symptoms that include those domains um, associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, such as re-experiencing um, alterations in arousal and reactivity, avoidance, alterations in cognitions and mood. So early on, you know, the research was really about establishing prevalence and kind of the scope and intensity of the problem. Um, more recently, um, I've been looking at um, the impact of various organizational strategies on organizational behavior and individual, individual symptom profiles. Um, and also understanding how secondary traumatic stress might manifest um, in ways that are different than post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, we know that there's a continuum of symptoms. So really establishing um, clinical outcome categories that would represent different manifestations of secondary traumatic stress. So, for example, when exposed to indirect material, professionals may have no reaction um, or they may have only transient symptom spike where they have some nightmares or maybe they have some preoccupation with the material, but very quickly they return to baseline functioning. Um, there's another category of professional that um, may have some mild symptom disturbance. So um, they are experiencing some symptoms of secondary traumatic stress, but no functional impairment. Um, the third category that um, we've been looking at is this category of worker who has significant symptoms of post-traumatic stress and functional impairment, but they don't meet the criteria for PTSD. So these would be considered sub-threshold cases. And then finally, on the most extreme end of the continuum are those individuals who have indirect exposure and meet the criteria for post-traumatic stress. So by looking at these um, outcome categories and a clinical decision-making algorithm that um, could be used to determine um, whether this is secondary traumatic stress or primary stress and factor in functioning levels and severity of symptoms, we feel like then we can have a continuum of typologies that we can map interventions onto. So that's really what I've been working on is the typology patterns and then the intervention targets that would be most appropriate for each of this, those outcomes.
So are there maybe some very practical um, also hints you can you can give uh, to organizations who are working with individuals who are at risk of developing secondary traumatic stress? So there is some controversy about whether or not secondary traumatic stress can be prevented. In fact, some would argue that it is a natural reaction to being exposed on the job and that if you have a large enough dose of indirect trauma exposure that you will have some symptoms. Um, what we're concerned about is those groups of employees, uh, professionals that may be more at risk. And so the first strategy that we recommend to organizations is good psychoeducation of the workforce that begins at onboarding and um, continues throughout the life of an employee, an employee's career, um, so that they can begin to identify and self-monitor when levels of traumatic stress might be um, reaching a point that they need um, some intervention. So that kind of monitoring and individual capacity for detection is important and those are skills we need to teach our workforce. Um, the second thing is that organizations need to pay attention um, to the levels of exposure. And so in a trauma-focused organization, um, it may be that there is no um, other types of work an individual can do besides treat those that have traumatic stress because that's the focus of the organization. Um, but varying the intensity of the cases, uh, providing opportunities to process in real time the experience um, and, and what it means to do the work so that an individual can um, metabolize those experiences in the moment and then move past them. So they don't need to ruminate, they don't need to carry them with them. So there's some practice approaches that we recommend um, that are more mindful based in the moment so that people are very aware. It includes um, a range of reflective practice strategies including reflective supervision, so having access to a supervisor that can really um, help an individual focus on what does it mean to do this work and how is this experience of providing this trauma treatment impacting me. Um, and so once we make those kinds of experiences more explicit, people can deal with them. And I think um, also a last strategy that I'll mention is organizations can provide resilience building activities so that during the course of the work, um, work day, um, an individual uh, worker has the opportunity to engage in things that um, promote adaptive coping. Um, so being able to uh, be mindful enough uh, to engage in affect regulation strategies, um, to um, you know have proper balance, to promote some self-care. But I only say that um, in the sense that as individuals we have responsibilities, but organizations have a responsibility. So it needs to be like a two-pronged approach where the individual is taking care of themselves and practicing certain behaviors, but organizations are minding the ship so that it um, isn't too toxic for the worker and they're providing these opportunities for people to grow and find balance. Mm -hmm.